0: We have consistently condemned these tests and called them reckless. But that is not enough. Today we are going further. I am pleased to announce that as of today, the United States commits not to conduct destructive direct ascent anti-satellite missile testing. Simply put, These tests are dangerous, and we will not conduct them. We are the first nation to make such a commitment defense and aerospace report this is the downlink a podcast about the intersection of space the space business and defense not just what's over the horizon but what's happening above it i'm your host laura winter Hello, podcasters. That was U.S. President Kamala Harris announcing that the United States was unilaterally forswearing testing what's called direct ascent kinetic anti-satellite tests. Anti-satellite weapons, or ASATs, come in various forms, like jamming and lasing, which are usually not permanently destructive, but rather temporarily disruptive. What the vice president announced is a ban on the destructive kind called direct ascent, This type of test, in general terms, means launching a land-based missile to intercept a satellite on orbit. Both the missile and the satellite are traveling at supersonic speeds, and when they collide, it's pretty explosive. It creates an on-orbit debris cloud that continues to travel at supersonic speeds. Think of it like shrapnel. And if this shrapnel comes in contact with other objects on orbit, it can do some damage. That's why on Saturday, the International Space Station was moved to a slightly higher orbit to avoid contact with shrapnel from Russia's November ASAT test. The United States, Russia, China, and India have all conducted these kinetic tests. I've done a number of episodes on ASATs and debris, and almost everyone in the space sector outside of China and Russia calls them irresponsible and dangerous. So you'd think there'd be a broad consensus supporting the U.S. administration's announcement. Well, there is and there isn't. It's just not that simple. To get a more global view, I spoke with British Ambassador Aidan Little. He's spearheading an international effort at the United Nations to create an on-orbit rules-based order. But first, we're going to hear a U.S. national security perspective from Coyote Smith, a space power expert at the Air Command and Staff College at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama. Here's our conversation. Hi, Coyote. It's great to have you on the podcast.
1: Oh, my gosh, Laura, it's fantastic to be here. I have been waiting to to appear on your podcast. This is terrific. Thank you for having me.
0: This is your first time on the downlink. Take a moment and introduce yourself.
1: Well, hello, everybody. I'm Coyote Smith. Uh, I am an assistant professor, associate professor, rather, at uh, Air Command and Staff College in Montgomery, Alabama where I teach in the Schriever Space Scholars Program. That's where we take mid-grade officers and we teach them about space power. And I'd like to just start out by saying our emphasis is not necessarily on the military applications of space power, but on the security applications of space power. We we concern ourselves with things such as economic security, environmental security, um, various other kinds of uses of space that contribute to the overall Uh, benefit of not only the United States, but also to humankind. That's really where we focus our attention here. A little bit about my background of how I came to this place. I started out, I joined the Air Force when I was 12 years old, when I became a cadet in the Civil Air Patrol. And I have been with the same company ever since. So if you need somebody that can keep a job, I guess that would be me. Uh, That was back in 1976 when I joined, and I've been with them ever since. After high school, I went off to college, got my commission, went off to pilot training and was unfortunately medically disqualified at one point. So I transitioned over. I became a missile launch officer, did that for a while. And then I moved to where my heart really lies, and that is in the space business. I went into the space control community uh, way back when and uh, have been really dealing with a lot of these issues that we're going to be discussing today uh, for about 30 years I would go on to become a space weapons officer, a space weapons instructor. Uh, I've been an air campaign planner in four different wars. Uh, I've come back to uh, the academic community. I graduated from School of Advanced Air and Space Studies and went on with uh, commanding a squadron. And then I led an organization called DreamWorks, which was the future concept shop in the National Security Space Office, and that was just such a wonderful job because I did space twenty-four-seven, and it was it was just a great job, and worked worked the different types of programs between NASA, the Air Force, and the National Reconnaissance Office, and a couple other organizations in order to manage the uh, science and technology manifests of what those organizations were doing so that we could de-conflict our laboratory time, our S&T, science and technology dollars, our research and development dollars, and try to do good things with our space programs. And we have, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And then I uh, decided that I wanted to set myself up for a second career, and the Air Force sent me off to get a PhD and brought me back to the School of Advanced Air and Space Studies, where I taught here until my career ended. I spent 30 years total on active duty in the uh, Air Force. And uh, I'm also very proud of the fact that uh, I started a series of letters and also papers, articles that I wrote that triggered the creation of what is now the Space Force. I worked with my member of Congress, Congressman Mike Rogers, to assist in the creation of the Space Force. And I'm looking with great anticipation to good things that we can do, not only for our nation, but for our allies and for the world.
0: You know, on Monday, Vice President Kamala Harris was at Vandenberg Space Force Base in California, and she made an announcement. Well, actually there were two announcements. What were they?
1: Well, you know, yes. And first I I, I should have started by saying that I am speaking of my own opinion. I am not representing the U.S. government or Air University or any constituency thereof. Um, I'm speaking in my role as an as an academic, and uh, it, it, using my freedom of expression. And so, Kamala Harris uh, really surprised us. She made two announcements at Vandenberg Air Force Base. The first was that the United States w- would forswear testing of direct ascent anti-satellite weapons that would impact satellites and cause debris. And that's a good thing. Um, most of us in the audience looked at each other and we're wondering, well, you know. We're actually not working on those types of systems. We're not looking at creating space debris. The second thing that Kamala Harris announced was that the United States was going to actively participate in efforts to establish international norms for responsible spacefaring behavior. Uh, the goal of course the creation of customary law that over time will develop into maybe formal law in the international forum. Now a couple of things that stood out in our mind, while at first it occurred to us that we're not pursuing debris-causing type of weaponry. Uh, if the type of weaponry that, that we see on orbit is um, mostly electromagnetic jamming and lasing, that's the type of stuff. Temporary, oftentimes reversible, sometimes causing permanent damage. But really, nobody has the interest in creating space debris Uh, Because space debris becomes like a minefield that everybody else's, everybody's satellites have to contend with. And in class, I typically teach that, you know, nobody's interested in creating space debris because sailors know enough not to mine their own harbors and soldiers know enough not to put mines in their own camps. These are just simple types of things that we do. So Kamala Harris's announcement was on one hand, slightly unremarkable. Uh, But then when we sat there and we thought about the second and third order effects of her making that announcement, it kind of gave us some pause.
0: Well, that all sounds good and interesting, but isn't leading the way to ensuring that space debris doesn't shred our on orbit space infrastructure, you know, a good thing. I mean, the White House says this initiative is supposed to address the ASAT tests that Russia and China conducted. I mean... Interestingly enough, India wasn't included in that. I mean, it had an anti-satellite test uh, mission Shakti in 2019. But does this U.S. initiative to unilaterally ban itself from conducting destructive ASAT tests? I mean, does it really do what it says on the 10?
1: Wow, you know, and here you come to uh, the second and third order effects of such an announcement. And, and this is really where we need to think about it. Initially, uh, as I said, you know, we're in full compliance with X. We're not on board with the idea of creating space debris. The United States really has only two examples of our actually doing on-orbit testing. Back in 1985, we did an air launch from an F-15 fighter jet, which uh, launched uh, ASAT up into orbit and destroyed one of our defunct satellites. And we learned a great deal from that experience. We did not really anticipate the permanence of space debris. And when I say permanent, it's not really permanent. It's just going to be up there for years or decades. But we also gave thought to, you know, there's probably a better way of actually doing that type of impact. Uh, You'll remember that in 2007, uh, the Chinese did their big ASAT test. They did it out at a great depth in space, around over 500 miles. And they spattered a satellite. And that's the best way to describe it. They spattered a satellite that sent thousands of pieces of debris into orbit that is still largely up there today. And we're having to contend with it all of these years later. It has driven maneuvers of not only the uh, space station, but also of satellites and other objects on orbit. A year later, we did an, uh, what many people have called an ASAT test, but what we had, we had a satellite that was already in a very low orbit because it had failed to achieve its operational orbit. Due to a problem with its booster. And it was filled with hydrazine and other types of caustic chemicals. So what we did is we waited for that satellite to come down into the lowest of possible orbits, and then we engaged it from behind. By engaging that satellite from behind and with a trajectory from above, when we impacted that, we pushed it more quickly along with all of the debris that would be created back down into the atmosphere. India learned a great deal. Now, a couple of years ago, India did their ASAT test, and that is also the kind of engagement that they did. Wait for the satellite to get low in orbit, attack it from the rear from an above trajectory, and you minimize the creation of debris on orbit. The Chinese and Russian tests? No, especially the one that the Russians did last year. Uh, They did a head-on engagement, causing that debris field to be put onto orbit for a long period of time. It's not good. Another thing that came to our mind after Vice President Harris's announcement is, you know, the Russians and the Chinese have been talking about the prevention of the placement of weapons in outer space as one of their treaty initiatives in the United Nations. But we sure see an awful lot of hostile activity in space weapons development on their behalf. The other thing that stands out in our mind is why in the world would we make a unilateral declaration of not developing these ASATs when we could have diplomatically used that to trade away? for some other improved situation in space. We gave away a bargaining chip and got nothing for it. Within a few days, the Russians went out and tested the latest advanced intercontinental ballistic missile. Uh, Whether it's ballistic or not, I'm not even actually sure, but it's the Satan II missile. So we come out with this great announcement that says we're going to ban ASATs and the Russians respond by testing a new nuclear weapon delivery system. Yeah. But I'd also like to say our confidence in treaty compliance by either the Chinese or the Russians is exceptionally low. When we deal with China, we're talking about a nation who has, what, two million Uyghurs in what have been described as concentration camps in their north northwest territory. We also see a China that goes out and tries to seize island chains from established nations who have long-term claim on those chains by inventing their own islands and of course the chinese promised that they would not weaponize those islands to the obama administration and then now you see that those islands are bristling with weapons they even have and i love this they even have one island that they've made like this uh james bond subterranean subpen that you see the submarine disappearing into the island it's remarkable And with regard to our Chinese great power competitors, uh, their performance in Ukraine has just been atrocious. If you want to ask about the reliability of the Russians to comply with a treaty, I wish you could interview the souls of those thousands of dead Ukrainians that the United Nations is finding thrown in trenches in that nation. So, you know, I'm not really sure That we could ever count on Russia or China not using direct ascent or even co orbital ASATs that would spatter satellites again and create large debris fields in war. The use of such weapons is interesting. If you do not have enough weapons to temporarily and reversibly negate your adversary's satellites, then you are almost forced to use the kinetic destruction so that you permanently remove a satellite. And then you can move on to other satellites to uh, uh, reduce the. The problem uh, that you face militarily, yeah. So, but giving I, giving I, away a, a, I'm sorry.
0: Oh, oh no, I'm just saying. I don't mean to be a pill, but you know, there there is a strong argument with a lot of political support that if you want to change space behavior even even if the Russians and the Chinese will be difficult to drag along and, and to change any kind of behavior, such as reducing orbital debris. I mean, don't you have to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk, you know, lead by example? I mean, what's wrong with that?
1: Be the change in the world you want to see. Yeah, we've heard that. Joseph Nye wrote a very convincing book uh, called Soft Power, Joseph Nye out of Harvard, of course. And uh, he advocates exactly that. Be the change in the world you want to see. And it has good logic to it. Uh, The book is very internally consistent. Part of the problem is, though, when we take a look at the world, it's not always a pretty place. People oftentimes confuse wishful thinking for critical analysis. And they oftentimes mirror image their own best intentions to those of our adversary. And what you're actually asking us to do is to rest our security on the goodwill of our enemies. And that doesn't oftentimes work. Um, In fact, it usually fails. And when it does fail, it fails horribly. Uh, I think about the economic entanglement and the globalization that was taking place prior to the First World War. In the spring of 1914, war was absolutely inconceivable in Europe because everybody was economically entangled. Economic entanglement does not prevent war. Neither does globalization. But it does guarantee that should a war get triggered, everybody is all in very quickly. It's remarkable that we have not engaged more aggressively inside Ukraine, but we can see the economic turmoil that just that engagement by Russia against one of its neighbors has caused internationally, and you can see the trickle down from that. Our economic entanglement, Europe's economic entanglement with Russia did not prevent that war. The economic entanglement between Ukraine and Russia did not prevent that war. Ukraine and Russia both have McDonald's, and so that old idea that, that nations with McDonald's don't go to war with each other. Well, that's no and void at this point. Yeah, so, you know, we look out there and we see Joseph Nye's soft power. Well, I will tell you that hard power, actually having military capability, has a soft power all its own. If you have a military capability, you don't have to use it. But soft power all by itself is no power at all against hard power. And that's what we're facing.
0: Coyote, thank you for making the time to speak with me.
1: Oh, it's just been a pleasure. I I really enjoy this, and I appreciate it, Laura, what you do to keep people informed and providing counter-opinions. Especially as an educator, I really value the fact that you provide some balanced opinions and uh, you you give both sides, multiple sides, an opportunity to opine on various issues. Thank you very much for what you do.
0: Now we're going to hear from Ambassador Little, As I said up top, he's been leading the effort to get something on the books at the UN, and he's actually making progress. This past fall, he got the votes in the General Assembly to actually start the slow but necessary work of building consensus on how spacefaring and non-spacefaring nations should act in regards to space-based infrastructure. Here's what he had to say about the ASAP ban announcement. Hello again, Ambassador Little. It's great to be speaking with you
2: again. Thanks, Laura. Great to uh, great to be back with you.
0: As it's been a while since you were last on the podcast, for the audience, and before we get to this U.S. announcement, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm the UK's permanent representative to the Conference on Disarmament, uh, and in that Uh, capacity, I'm also leading the UK delegation to the open-ended working group on space threats, uh, which is uh, having its first meeting in Geneva in a couple of weeks' time, beginning the 9th of May.
0: As you know, Vice President Kamala Harris, who also happens to be the head of the US Space Council, you know, she made an announcement this week that the US was unilaterally banning kinetic direct descent anti-satellite weapons tests. What do you think? This is just one nation that hasn't conducted this kind of test in a while. Is this even a big deal?
2: I think it is a big deal. I mean, you say it's just one nation, but it's one of only four that's demonstrated this technology. Um, so you know this is not this is not widespread uh, technology. We want to we want to make sure that space is a, continues to be a safe and sustainable and accessible domain. So for one of the four countries that has this capability to to, to voluntarily uh, forswear it is a, is a is a big deal.
0: You know, there are a number of thoughtful folks in and out of government elected and non elected around the globe that wonder if, well, let's say we even get to an agreement to stop these kinds of ASAT tests with Russia and China even on board. I mean, how will we even enforce that just looking at Ukraine, you've got to wonder, you know, if Mm -hmm. Russia intends to keep any of its promises.
2: Sure, I mean it's, it's it's an entirely it's an entirely fair question, and at the moment we 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 can't trust Russia to keep its promises. Um, but this is a this is a long game. I mean, this this technology has been around for a long time. Um, you know, it's been tested a few times over the last twenty years or so. Um, when it's been tested, it's often created long-lasting debris which is still there and still causing a danger to uh, to space objects. So it's um, it's, it's it's worth tackling um what i think this announcement does is demonstrate that there is already a norm building against the use of this uh, of this capability of of, of direct ascent uh, anti satellite uh, missiles so what that means is that there is already i think a feeling out there that this, this is a technology that shouldn't be used um that it's counterproductive that it doesn't necessarily have uh, the military value that that the that the consequences um, in terms of debris creation would 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 merit. So I think what I think what this is is the latest step in the building of that norm. I mean, we've already seen uh, when Russia and China recently conducted these these uh, tests in India. There was, there was a bit of a, a global outcry. People people said this was a bad thing. I think the US taking this step and as a matter of policy saying we're not going to do this anymore, I think that's a recognition that this is growing into a norm, into a taboo, if you like, against this, this technology. So, you know, I hope over the next few years, more and more countries will... Will will make the same promise, and eventually that will grow into something that you might be able to enshrine in a, in a legal agreement. But I think you know when when countries like the US and then hopefully India, China, and and eventually Russia uh, do the same, that that's 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 powerful countries coming together saying that this is this is a technology um, whose whose costs don't don't justify the uh, uh, don't justify the the use of it.
0: How do you think? Having the U.S., um, which is one of the four nations that has tested this type of technology in the past, not recently, but it has done it, to come out and and you know say this is in an effort to support norms of behavior in space, I mean, does it really make a difference? I mean, you are going to be opening this um, open working group with a myriad of nations, some of which aren't even spacefaring, you know, How does it affect those kinds of talks?
2: Um, so I, I think it's a huge um, boost for these, for these talks as they begin in a couple of weeks. That's partly, as I say, because this process is all about building norms and about crystallizing norms and norms of behavior that might eventually turn into, into legally binding agreements, which is what a lot of countries want. So I think a lot of countries going into this, seeing the US, the major spacefaring power making this sort of announcement that's that's a that's a big signal of intent from the us and it's i think will give a lot of people uh the assurance that this is really a serious process that this can lead to real change i think the other thing that's important is that is that the creation of debris is something that's really important to a lot of countries only four countries have demonstrated um direct descent asap technology but as I say, those tests create a lot of debris and it's debris in orbits which a lot of countries either have objects in or have the aspiration to launch objects into. And so I think when they see countries like the U.S. saying, you know, we, we know this is we know that the question of debris is important for you as 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 new or as spacefaring powers. I think that's a real a really important signal, again, that this is something that the U.S. takes seriously and that there is real benefit in for for countries that don't have that technology, um, that there's something in it for everybody.
0: Do you think that it would actually allow other nations, in a sense, to, to come on board in supporting norms of space behavior? I mean, if you have such a large country saying, hey, we're going to give up something that we find to be destructive, but it was useful for us, so we're going to give it up. I mean, does it, does it lend itself to giving more support towards um, and giving cover to uh, smaller nations that may have found it difficult to support such um, an effort before?
2: Yeah, I think so. Well, as I say, hopefully this by, by the US going first, that will really provide leadership in terms of the countries that do have that sort of technology or uh, are developing or capable of developing that technology. But I think what it'll do for most countries, most of the the other, you know, 150 plus countries in the world who who don't have that aspiration, I think it will say to them that this is a serious process. This open ended working group can lead to uh, agreements on behaviour in space that will be in everybody's interests, and the, that will keep space open and, and accessible to all, and safe and secure. Um, so, I, I think it's a really powerful message, and I think having the US, you know, go first, I think is is a real, it's a it's a, it's a really it's a really strong sign of leadership from the US, which which I think will uh, will set this process off on a really good note.
0: What are the next steps then? You know, how can we truly ensure that these types of tests are truly stopped once and for all? Or is that even possible?
2: It's definitely possible. Yeah. And I, I think in some ways it's, it's, it's sort of low-hanging fruit, if you want to call it that. It's it's something that I think, you know, it's, it's easily definable. Everybody knows what this technology is, what it can do. It's, it's very obvious if you do it. I mean, you asked earlier about enforcement. If, if a country does test an ASAP uh, missile and, and does destroy something in space, everybody can see it. Uh, there's no there's no worry about verification or anything like that. And, and, and everyone, everyone can see who who did it as well. So it's it, it's something that's that's quite easy to do in, in, in sort of technical and legal terms. What we're hoping is that this four-week, uh, this, this open-ended working group, which will meet for four weeks over the next two years... Will lead to a a set of recommendations back to the UN General Assembly uh, next summer, and we we very much hope that this could be this could be one of them. This could be the first one in the list, really. And uh, as such, it could be something that the General Assembly could endorse. And as I say, could could lead quite quickly, hopefully, to a legally binding instrument if uh, if enough countries think this is valuable and, and and want to get on board themselves.
0: Aiden, thank you so much for your time.
2: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me back.
0: That's it for this week. I hope my guests have given you something to chew on. I'll be back next week. But in the meantime, follow me or the downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report hosted by Vago Moradian, and listen to Cavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. I'm Laura Winter.